0: This is Press Publish, a weekly conversation about journalism, technology, and the media business, where we talk with the people building the future of news. I'm Josh Benton, director of the Neiman Journalism Lab at Harvard, and this is episode six. My guest this week is Rick Edmonds. Rick is the media business analyst at the Pointer Institute down in Florida. You know, we spend a lot of time at Neiman Lab writing about and talking about online native media. But it's important to remember that in the U.S. at least, the single most important source of professional journalism remains newspapers. American papers were gloriously profitable over the second half of the 20th century. But you don't need me to tell you that that has changed. Just 12 years ago, American newspapers generated over $48 billion in print advertising revenue. By last year, the number was under $20 billion. Young readers continue to stay away, and competition for attention online gets tougher every single day. Rick's job is to analyze the financial health of newspapers, and it struck me, reading him recently, that he's been sounding a little bit more optimistic than he has in recent years. Not a lot, mind you, but a little bit. Rick worked on both the newsroom and business sides of newspapers, working at the New York Times, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and what was then called the St. Petersburg Times, now the Tampa Bay Times. We talked about revenue strategies for newspapers, about paywalls, of course, about cutting print days, and about which newspapers he thinks have the brightest future. Here's our conversation. I remember the first time I interviewed you um, for Neiman Lab in December or November December two thousand eight, right after Neiman Lab started, and right when things were really going pretty terribly in the newspaper business and the economy in general. Uh, I guess I'll just start with a broad question: How optimistic are you feeling about newspapers these days? You know, given the sort of. Uh, how bad it seemed to be for the last few years are you, are you seeing some some lights at the ends of tunnels
1: well i'm i'm i mean i guess i'm uh I, i've been a guarded optimist uh, right along and and i think there is reason to feel uh a little bit better right now uh, but i i have to say i think there's still you know it kind of hangs in the balance and uh if if a series of things went went uh wrong we could be uh back in in Pretty deep difficulty once again. Uh, uh, but we'll talk about the details, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think there is some reason to uh, feel a little bit better. Feel as though, uh, again, a point we we'll want to talk about that uh, it isn't really the case that uh, digital news operations as businesses have uh, have uh, swept away newspapers. Now, digital competition from a whole variety of sources for ad dollars uh, uh, has been very difficult. So you know, I think I think. Uh, Newspaper people are regaining some confidence that they uh, have something to offer something that uh, users will pay for and and something that can be of, of use uh, to conventional advertisers and you know maybe marketers of, of other sorts as well
0: so I've noticed in your writing the last the last few months or so uh, a, a bit of a more of an air of, of optimism or at least some some feelings that the newspaper business Particularly in the digital paywall area, might be trying, might be starting to figure something out. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, what you've just read written, written recently about the the New York Times and and Gannett reporting that something like two thirds of their digital subscribers are new subscribers, people who had not been print subscribers before that. Do do you see the this rise of paywalls in the last year or two as something that is going to lead to a sustainable growth path, or is this sort of just picking up a one-time group of people? I mean, I, when I look at the New York Times, I, I see there are lots of people who I could imagine subscribing to the New York mm-hmm. Times digitally going forward. But for a lot of newspapers, I, I really wonder how much room there is for, for growth and getting people to pay uh, online.
1: Well, you've got two or three good points to that question. Uh, I, I, I do think there's uh, some flavor of, of a one-time event, and I would say, even in, in these very positive reports, the New York Times particularly, which has uh, been in the business now for nearly two years, is expecting that the growth may may slow some. And uh, this uh, whole connection between putting in a paywall, um, selling digital bundles, which supports uh, particularly Sunday subscriptions, the way they have it uh, set up, and uh also supports a pretty aggressive price increase. Uh, I don't think that remains true year after year. Uh, on the other hand, as people get uh, get uh, used to paying for uh, access to news content this way, sure. I mean, I think there's a chance that uh, they'll be willing to pay more as time goes on, and uh, it's also a very nice uh, position for the future that uh, they'll be paying for access across a range of devices. So if they uh, are much more into using tablets in a few years. Uh that shouldn't be a uh, uh, disruptive Then, Yeah. Um I think also uh a, a question you raise and a question I have uh, I wouldn't say settled by the Gannett report but encouraging news on that front is is I mean it's clearly uh a more easily workable proposition for the New York Times, high price in the first place. Um very uh, well valued content in some ways all over the world so that isn't going to work for a uh, 40,000 circulation newspaper in a smallish town Uh, and and I would say with with Gness results um, while they show this working very well overall that doesn't necessarily mean it's working well in in all 80 of their communities so it's a little early days still to say that uh, this is going to work in all of the 400, 450 newspapers that are either doing it or planning to do it. I remember when, uh, uh,
0: plotting when time select the previous several years ago, effort of the New York times to, to charge for some of its content online, charting the growth curve of subscribers to that. And it, it, if you just looked at the line of the first two or three quarters of reports, it looked like it was just going to head up into infinity, but very quickly it just flattened out and they were, they spent the last year or so of that, you know, within a pretty tight radius of I think 200 to 220,000 digital subscribers. And it seems to me that that, that that same sort of flattening off is going to be a a big, big concern.
1: I think that could happen. Uh, in, in fact, I've been, uh, a little bit surprised that they sustained as much growth as they did over, over the last year, I thought. I mean, it was yeah. quite as much as, as the very first year, but uh, they're still doing pretty well.
0: The uh, the Gannett uh, report that you talked about uh, had said that uh, they had 46,000 new digital-only subscribers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I, well, and then that's less than 2000 per paper as as you said but uh, the the ceo reported uh that they expect to get up to 250 to 300,000 by the end of this year did, did, does that growth rate make sense to you i got to say when i read that that I, I was a little bit skeptical of assuming that because you got 46,000 uh at the you know in the in this quarter that it would zoom up that that quickly That seemed a bit optimistic
1: well uh, possibly it's optimistic but uh, but i think uh I think there is reason to think that uh, as they have uh, have longer to do it, and they may, uh, as they have said in that call and in other contexts, um, market the digital only subs a little more aggressively than they have to date. That uh, they'll be able to achieve it. I, I also, with sort of the context of how. Gannett has been managed, especially in its relationship to investors and analysts over over the last 18 months. Um, they they set out on a strategy where instead of just kind of, kind of talking in, in general terms about how they were getting more digital and transforming the company, they made relatively specific promises and projections. So um, I, I I think that's uh, that's more than just a hope. They really in, in a kind of, Promise maybe a little bit too strong word, but they they really indicated to uh, investors that's where they'll be and that they're pretty much on track with their plans today.
0: Mm-hmm. Do do
1: uh, this
0: is sort of a, a, a side note, but do you think that our our vision of the newspaper business is is warped any by the the split between the publicly owned and the and the privately owned companies? Just because you know we hear this sort of thing from from Gannett, but you know uh, like the and other companies that, that are not publicly traded, we, we don't get the same insight. And I'm, I'm just thinking of this in part because as we talk, uh, Dell, the computer company, is just uh, about to stop being publicly traded and, and go to private, to private yeah. ownership. But you...
1: uh, Well, I, I do have some concerns with that. And I think that uh, uh, one thing that's happened in a dozen or so years that I've been, been doing this, I, I remember the first uh, investor meetings I went to in uh, 2001, 2000, maybe even. Uh, there were 13 different public companies presenting. Well, now they're, depending a little bit how you count them, maybe seven or eight, and not all of those are big enough that they're they're really attracting too much investor interest. So, so basically, what we get in terms of the result of results from the public companies are are, are less and less representative of the industry as a whole. Um, on the other hand, I, I guess I still think it's a it's it's a fairly good good indicator, and uh, you know I certainly see many of the same trends, and uh, for that matter, some of the same patterns in uh, cost control and and uh, uh, newsroom layoffs uh, in the in the private group.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, one of those companies that that uh, has gone through some ownership issues is uh, General Register, and. Right. Digital First, which owns it. Um, while Gannett and the Times were reporting some some pretty decent or optimistic thoughts about paywalls, The uh, uh, John Payton, the CEO of Digital First, reported uh, what seemed like a pretty hefty slam on the results of the media news group paywalls. Uh, 22 paywalls, I think, that generated right. in their first year only $300,000 gross revenue, which is basically nothing. It's not good. It's not um,
1: good. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I actually – corresponded briefly with, uh, with Peyton about that, but I, I don't know whether that particular post was, you know, sort of timed to, to uh, come out the same day as, as Gannett's report came, came about. And when you dig into it, he, he, it's a little bit more complicated. I mean it certainly still is the case that he, he is a disbeliever in paywalls as, as the best strategy. Uh, but he seemed to be saying the first version of this we did didn't really work. But rather than just quitting, we're going to be trying some some other variations on it. But uh, uh, I mean, you're certainly right. They, to to the limited extent that they they kind of had these in place when he took over the company, he probably wouldn't have put them in place had he been managing it right along. Uh, they didn't have a successful experience at all.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't know the. And, I,
1: and I've heard anecdotally, as as I'm sure you have. Uh, uh, some publishers who say, "Well, we tried this, and you know, we're sort of uh, we announced it, and corporate is kind of into it, but it's not working, working with damn for us."
0: Yeah, yeah, it does seem like there are some, particularly the smaller papers, some some very mixed results there. In right. the, that post, Peyton said that he he described the 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 endless debates uh, around paywalls, debates that mm-hmm. in some form you and I have taken a part in, um, yes. as as a distraction from trying to build a digital first and lowercase d lowercase f There, uh business model for for newspaper companies do you do you think that's true because in a sense it has sucked a lot of the air out of these these conversations at the sort of at the punditry level at least but I, you know do you think that do you think that's true well, is it a distraction it, in the companies yeah,
1: the, the, they're sort of two separate things there and it's punditry punditry level and uh you know the tendency and, and i guess i i would Call myself a fervent uh, paywall advocate, but I, I, I certainly think that it's uh, it's one of the bigger positive new developments for the industry. But when you get to the pundits, you, you really have, particularly on the digital side, uh, people I would call digital ideologues, and you know, sort of the old information wants to be free crowd. So yeah, that that debate has uh, to a certain extent uh, gotten very repetitive, uh, and you know, there's, there is—I think—in many instances more ideology than uh, than facts and analysis in it. Uh, Steve Butry, who's, who's a uh, big anti-paywall guy, you know, at one point last fall said he was so tired of this he wasn't going to write about it anymore until the next time he wrote about it. Um, <laughs> to the the other point about about management uh, distraction, I I don't necessarily agree with Peyton about that I mean I do think that uh, that uh, other companies that are are not as aggressive about uh, digital first and foremost as he is that's debatable which which is a better strategy but but I think they've been uh, uh, pretty proactive lately in developing new new revenue streams and uh, uh, you know part of the whole digital paywall uh, initiative is to make good versions of your content available on, on all the major platforms which are four or five now rather than just two so I don't think the two are, are mutually exclusive I do think the tactic he's taking and uh, Clark Gilbert with uh, Deseret and to a certain extent the uh, uh, advanced folks with three days a week of print and a bigger reliance on, on digital is Enough of a bet on digital advertising and and some related digital uh, revenue streams that uh, they they want to keep as much traffic uh, as as they can. Because of course, indeed, they're not they're getting zero in terms of uh, of uh, reader revenue for for their digital. Right. Right. at this point,
0: now that you've sort of seen the, the evidence, let, let's imagine you were put in, in charge of a newspaper. Do you, do you think a, a paywall makes a sort of universal sense at this point? Is it, is it essentially a way to harness a certain amount of low-hanging revenue fruit that sort of is, is going to be a part of the, the revenue puzzle going forward? Or are there papers where you think it really just isn't going to make sense?
1: Uh, broadly, I think it does make sense, and I, I think there is there is more to it than uh, just harvesting what's what's there right now. Though, of course, that's uh, in a time when uh, sufficient revenues continue to be a challenge. That's uh, that's nothing to sneeze at. But I, I guess I like it for especially for metro papers, um, and to some extent for others, because I I think one of the things that goes with it is a uh, commitment but that if we're going to charge people uh, we'd better have some some uh, journalism and other kinds of content uh, up there that are are uh, unique uh, that, that include a fair amount of uh, investigative and accountability reporting that uh, has a lot of good storytelling so in that way it seems to me uh, potentially potentially a virtuous circle where we've uh, all sort of seen the, the effects of uh, what Phil Meyer some years ago described as uh, I think he called it the uh, uh, the death plunge uh, using sort of the airplane metaphor but certainly a vicious cycle where uh, advertising revenues fall there are cutbacks circulation falls there are more cutbacks etc and it, it uh, you know it, it has resulted in uh, uh, very thin papers with uh, noticeably less content uh, than they used to have and uh, uh, that I do think is a uh, it's sort of a formula for uh, uh, slowly working your way to uh, either extinction or irrelevance, which is just about as bad.
0: Right, right. Which, you know, for some for some investor owners, if that means that you harvest the those thin profit margins for the next few years, maybe that's fine. <laughs> but uh, not good for the sustainability of the enterprise.
1: Yeah, a, a, a friend of mine who uh, worked for me when I was running business magazines and, and like a number of uh, the pretty talented writers I had then, Stop being a journalist and start doing this for uh, for actual money," uh, said one time at a, at a conference we had. That uh, the typical investor uh, horizon is about five years. So you know if you're going to buy a company or to a certain extent uh, buy a stock, uh, now maybe Warren Buffett's the exception. He's, he's looking at the long, long term. But you know you're hoping to get five good years. To get more than that, that's uh, that's great. But you sort of uh, assess. the uh, the wisdom of the investment uh, with that criteria
0: yeah one thing that i've been a little bit surprised to to see that i haven't seen as much of i was sort of expecting more of it was i was expecting more in cities where newspapers went to paywalls however restrictive those paywalls might be i expected to see more market reaction from other players in the market from television stations and public radio stations and the rest. And uh, I expected more people to sort of stand up and say, well, the newspaper behind the paywall now, but now we are your, we're going to redouble down and, and, mm-hmm. we, you know, may, try and take the the status there. And I haven't seen as much of that as I was sort of anticipating, or at the very least I haven't seen it, as many people bragging about it or using it as a marketing push.
1: Well, I do think that potential competition has been, uh, one of the reasons why, why metros have been, uh, relatively slower uh, right. to, to make this move. Uh, but I also think, and, and, I uh, you know, it's, it's worth probably looking more at more different papers, but I think one of the things, uh, in, in the whole, uh, making it a, a porous fence rather than a wall that, uh, a number of the papers have done is, is that, uh, you know, when they, Look at uh, relatively strong uh, TV-related sites. Particularly, uh, they pretty much reach the conclusion that uh, the, the, the hot breaking news story, whether it's uh, you know the weather, a disaster, a big traffic jam, they have to put that up uh, for free and uh, kind of make some exceptions to that. Now, I don't know that they're uniformly doing that, but I, I certainly have heard heard uh, that as a strategy.
0: But at the same time that 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 is happening, we you remember when Hurricane Sandy was was happening. The Times, mm-hmm. you know, opened up their paywall and all the rest. Right.
1: That's but at the same time,
0: down. you're also seeing a trend sort of in the opposite direction. You know, the when the Times paywall debuted, it was 20 free articles a month, and they cut it to 10 free articles a month. The Boston Globe uh, initially allowed uh, social sharing as an exception to the paywall. If you link link something on Twitter, you'd be able to get through on bostonglobe.com. And they just recently – we had a story yesterday that they're cutting down only two clicks per month from social – um, you know, the, this is not newspapers, but the New Republic relaunched just uh, a few last week or so. Uh, only eight articles a month. Do do, do, you, do you think that there's a reason to for this sort of tightening? I, I can imagine it as a ploy to want to get people on the fence to to pony up, but I, I do wonder a little bit about you're going to get to people whether you're you're losing some of the benefits of letting people sample your work before they commit.
1: Well, that's that's certainly a balance uh, to be struck and, and probably kind of a difficult one, uh, a bit of a trial trial and uh and error uh, exercise and uh I mean I guess I start to say two things. The that's part of what's supposed to be good about the metered bottles. You know, do right do one thing for a while, you know, you think okay it should be tightened up some, do it if, if for some reason you get to a point where uh, it needs to be loosened, you, you do that too, so I'm, I'm not surprised to see uh, changes and, you know, sometimes on pretty short short time frames uh, as we go. Uh, I've also particularly noticed and, you know, maybe interesting of interest to you and and uh, folks in your area that the, the Boston Globe version which is um, uh, some of the many of the same ideas but not exactly. I mean, basically they have well-established site that has lots of uh, users who really don't use the newspaper and build itself into a big business. So they're kind of leaving that the same, and then they're offering bostonglobe.com, which is uh, enriched material and and uh, all the best stories from the newspaper and other things too. Well, when you think about it, and I didn't think about it so much at first, but there's there's a kind of a dilemma there, which is. To, to even sell people trial subscriptions. Um, the sort of notion of saying, well, take a look at this, you're gonna try it for a month and you'll find it's just wonderful, uh, may not be an adequate selling point. So they they've been doing uh and perhaps that's also an indicator that the the pickup hasn't been quite as good as they hope, but they've been doing a lot of uh take take a month for free and then uh then we'll ask you to pay. So there's this kind of uh, uh, difficulty of, as, as you alluded to there, that you've got to uh, let people see what it is that uh, uh, that you're asking them to pay for.
0: Yeah, I, I will confess uh, when the Boston – I was never a Globe print subscriber. When the Globe paywall – when the, it, the paywall happened, uh, I decided to become a Sunday-only print subscriber until the Globe mm-hmm. actually never delivered a single copy of the paper. Uh, That's not true. They delivered one in the space of of three months, um, which I thought was not the best sign. So I quit that, but they they offered up the full year of 2013 for $20.13 for a digital subscription. I thought, all right, fine. A good deal, yeah. You know, but you know, talk to me in a year. We'll see. <laughs> we'll we'll <laughs> right. see whether it's it's interesting at a time when in print newspapers are all about cutting back on churn and discounting and wanting to say we're not going to do what we did through you know the '90s and 2000s, where we were really chasing young readers. And we thought, well, we can you know discount our way to getting them a- attached to the newspaper, which meant that they ended up you know churning through a large number of subscribers every every month. Uh They've really gotten away from that. But on digital, they you know kind of have to do you know seek that churn and get people on on discounts and deals.
1: Yeah, and I, I would say um, uh, forthcoming as New York Times has been on on a lot of, uh, of uh, facts, numbers, et cetera, about uh, about how their thing goes. They they won't really say uh, either. You know, let's, we've got six hundred thousand plus people. How many of those are on some sort of introductory offer? How many of those are now paying? right yeah. whatever those may be there are a couple different versions of that uh, or as, as you say I mean the extent to which they're they're churning uh, through uh, one group of in, uh, introductory subscribers and then replacing them with, with an entirely new group of introductory subscribers so uh, we'll know all about that in time but I don't think we do right now
0: yeah, it's it's it is remarkable the degree to which uh, you know back in back in the print days when you had uh, the Audit Bureau of Circulations and their their numbers were something like gospel. Although I worked at the Dallas Morning News, where apparently we were not reporting the most honest numbers in the world. <laughs> yes, yes, you
1: uh, and there <laughs> there there were issues issues
0: there, but it it sure seems like. Uh, the business of counting digital subscribers is so fundamentally broken. I mean, it's not ABC anymore; it's the Alliance for Audited Media. But when they report their their you know their September numbers or their their March numbers, it seems like such a mishmash of things that it's almost impossible to sort of judge anything. You know, I, I, there's so many Sunday subscription totals, that, print subscription totals that are buffeted by a bunch of free throw uh free throw papers that yeah. don't have any business being counted as a sunday subscriber and digital subscribers who you know who they charge one penny more for the digital subscription and they get to count them as a separate digital subscriber it just seems kind of nuts if i were an advertiser i wouldn't believe any of it
1: well uh, I'll, I'll i'll disagree moderately with you i mean I, th- I think your point is right that there's first of all it's very different from what it was and, and they've said the rules changed and, and what's measured the the bottom line now is uh, quote total circulation, not paid circulation. Um, and there are many different varieties of that. Uh, uh, on the other hand, they weren't, they weren't ever really doing those numbers for your convenience and mine. I mean, they're, uh, <laughs> they are a way to, uh, provide numbers, uh, Particularly to advertisers. And on the advertiser side, while what you say is correct, um, there's also much more detailed breakdown of what's what within these various categories. So the, I think the advertisers uh, who, who make up about half of the board of, of uh, AAM, formerly ABC, mm. um, kind of accept the trade off that. Uh, Maybe this this total is a little squishier, but they get to see quite a lot of detail and uh, put those pieces together as they choose.
0: So we probably just all need to do in the in the media about media business do a better job of reporting those March and September numbers to to point out what's real and what's not.
1: Yeah, and I've tried to, to tried to write quite a lot about that, and and I mean I think there's there are kind of interesting stories to be done about about the, uh, the changing profile. I think. Uh, Uh, John Murray, who works for NAA, so he's a little bit of an interesting party, but he's also a good analyst, uh, noted that uh, in the largest papers, let's see if I can get this right. I'm pretty sure I can. In the largest papers, um, a little less than 70% of what they claim is Sunday circulation is traditional paid print circulation. And and that's where this uh, uh, so-called Sunday Select product, which – you and I wouldn't really consider a newspaper because it has, in some instances, no content; in other instances, just kind of very abridged or different content. Uh, but it gets the package of inserts uh, to people who, who, number one, have asked for them, and number two, are, are of interest to advertisers. So, yeah. good—it's a good business. Um, and, uh, but yes, it's different, different uh, thing being stated and measured than uh, than. English-
0: yeah, uh, speaking of Sunday inserts, there was a, a a bit of a a hubbub for the newspaper business a few months ago when uh, mm-hmm. I forget which which direct mail firm it was that was able to strike a special deal with the the, the post office to uh, to to
1: Velasquez, uh, right?
0: Exactly to uh, to deliver their their goods through the mails as opposed to uh, perhaps doing something that could have otherwise have gone into the Sunday inserts. And I know Sunday Sunday inserts were were pitched as one of the very last areas where newspapers retained a lot of their old pricing power, and we were still sort of viewing as it as a as a pretty steady uh, revenue stream on the on the advertising side one of the few places where they could say that Have, have you right. seen much impact of of that since that announcement was made like is that turned into real harm for newspapers yet or is it too early?
1: I think it's too early uh, I think it's too early i I think it uh, and I was uh wondering this week as, as I had understood the The main idea from Velasis was going to be to to get you a great big not necessarily right when they started but over time get you a great big pack of inserts in your Saturday mail so you'd kind of have those and uh, you the user and then then in turn the advertiser wouldn't be so focused on on the sunday paper um, but uh, Velasis uh, uh, has said that they're you know going to they they really don't do necessarily that much on Saturday, and that won't uh, uh, totally uh, change their plans. So, though it hasn't been reported on too much, uh, the the this is major uh, lobbying and legal issue for uh, NAA, and they have filed a suit against the post office, uh, basically saying the post office uh, violated their own rules and and did this as a entirely private company might do pricing and, and didn't really gauge the Potential negative effects on the uh, on the marketplace to, hmm. to newspapers, A- and I think the uh, I think the other part of your question is something I've been uh, very interested in. Is it's absolutely correct that uh, inserts have held up very well, and uh, there have been predictions for uh, several years now that that business might uh, shift fairly quickly to mobile coupons and digital this and that, but uh, that hasn't hasn't happened so much yet, and they. Not for a while, but it's a it's a real big event, and and, and the the chance that uh, there would be a huge shift away from inserts is uh, uh, kind of high on my list of uh, uh, catastrophic developments that could could really really hurt the industry a lot if it happens. It hasn't yeah. happened though, maybe not for a while. Yeah, it,
0: it's it's interesting to think how much a year ago or two years ago we were talking about digital coupons and how little we are now. You know, Groupon went from something no one had ever heard of to a giant phenomenon to kind of a laughing stock in a relatively short period of time.
1: Well, actually, I think, I, I think Groupon hasn't uh, fallen quite as far as people think it was, uh, it, it was not a success uh, as business. And, and uh, I mean, as a, uh, as a stock, right? stock IPO and, and the, their, their numbers and how they treated marketing expense and some other things uh, would, would suggest they're not, uh, they're not quite the runaway success to say, but they're, still selling a lot of group Groupon's out there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to, as you mentioned earlier, the the advanced strategy of cutting days. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's interesting that that, uh, you know, I'm from Louisiana, so I, I appreciate the the the, sanct- the the sanctity of New Orleans as a place that a lot of people care right. about. And uh, certainly a lot of the discussion around that was framed around the Times-Picayune uh, making their shift over the summer to just putting three days a week. But it's gone on in other markets, other advanced markets. and. Right we've seen other non advanced papers you know dropping mondays or you know doing doing other small things uh what's your read on on how you think that's that's gone I know uh, Ken doctor who writes for us and is sort of in the same business as you uh is a little bit skeptical about whether the, the numbers add up there but what do you think
1: uh I'm with Ken on this one and I wrote a piece uh back around the time it was starting uh, uh and and they had provided uh I thought, and I guess I still think, pretty skimpy numbers uh, on which to base an analysis. But I didn't think it really even made sense in the short term, uh, unless you took in the, the extremely deep cut in uh, in new staff. And uh, well, they made the counterpoint that okay, maybe we cut half the staff, but we're going to hire maybe half that that number uh, back as uh, uh, to work on the various digital digital things. But uh long story short, I think I think two things are, are worth uh noting. Number one, this has been an idea that's been discussed at least in a theoretical way for a long, long time. it seems to me I remember reading something in the early two thousand saying over time, okay, we, we all know that the the revenue is on un, uh unbalanced, the advertising revenues particularly on Sunday and a couple other days. Uh, I mean plus uh, it gets more and more expensive to uh, print the papers and distribute the papers. So this, this may be a smart move for the industry, uh, at some point. Uh, but second uh, notion is that, uh, yeah, it's still maybe at some point and it may happen on a, on a fairly big scale, uh, before too long. But, but I think most people feel as though, uh, advance kind of jumped the gun in their timing and that, uh, it doesn't really make sense, as most uh, uh, company management's and individual publishers see it, to do that right now.
0: So, does it? Are, are you then saying that you know, if we talk again in two years, that uh, it might make more sense?
1: Yeah, might. And I think you know, it's like a lot of things. I, 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 we haven't exactly hit this point, but I think it's healthy in the current climate that uh, people were always beating the industry over the head about, you know, you need to change more, you need to experiment in a bigger way, you need to try different things. I think it's good that uh, uh, a lot of different, and, and even in some instances, uh, uh, very divergent or, or opposing approaches are being tried. So, you know, my, my kind of line on advance is uh, I don't think it's such a good move, I, I think, particularly... Rely, relying as they would appear to do heavily on the growth of uh, digital advertising when uh, that hasn't been happening much in, in revenue terms because the pricing is not a good move. But, uh, you know, I'm more than happy to come back in two years and say they were right and I was wrong. If, uh, that's yeah. how
0: yeah, I remember how uh, the, the first couple years of, of Neiman Lab was filled with lots of people talking about paywalls and no one doing anything about paywalls. And I was just like, just someone do something so we can learn something, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what, whether what works and what right. doesn't. And I almost feel similarly, you know, in, in, in the paywall case, it was the Times finally taking the step that sort of allowed other people in some way to 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 make the move but the times is of course a very weird newspaper it's not really comparable to the vast yeah, majority I'm of newspapers sure. and i yeah. kind of feel similarly about this like i i, I like you I, I think that i don't well i don't think it's a terrible idea to 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 cut days i think that's an idea that has legs and we'll see more of it in the time in the future but i feel a little bit bad that the poster child for doing it is going to be Advance, which on the digital side has been a real underperformer for a really long time
1: well, and that's another thing uh, that I've heard some, some people are sort of uh, uh, sympathetic in spirit, but, uh, but wonder whether Advanced was ready to do it right now was, is that it would have been a whole lot better if they'd uh, made major changes and improvements to their, uh, to their site design and their, their technical capacity to do things on the web before they made this change rather than sort of uh, concurrent with it. Yeah. One more, uh, uh, you, you didn't ask about this, Josh, so you might, and, and I think another kind of interesting example in the same vein that I've written about a number of times and Ken Doctor wrote uh, for your site just the other day is the uh, the development just within the last few weeks that we finally have uh, a paper, kind of two papers with the Columbus Dispatch, and uh, they'll be uh, fairly soon printing the uh, Cincinnati Enquirer that made a major, major uh, format change uh, to the uh, so-called around compact edition uh, or way of printing the paper uh, it prints a lot faster, it saves a lot of money fairly expensive to do fairly, you know, like some of these other things, kind of like a radical shift so people have been been uh, cautious to do it but I, I think that's one to watch and if it, uh, if it uh, succeeds for those two papers, I think you may see quite a few uh, few other papers looking at that
0: yeah, in the same way that it just took a few in the in the British quality daily market to switch to to the Berliner size, and then everybody followed along very quickly. And I, I tend to think that I, I like the Columbus move too, and I, I I like it a lot more than the other sort of print move that some papers have taken the last few years, like the Globe and Mail and the San Francisco Chronicle, of like, well, we're going to have better quality paper. And that's what's going to be the differentiator. That that never seemed to really take off in my mind.
1: Yeah, Globe and Mail. Uh... Might be a, a a kind of a case where where they hit on a strategy some some time ago of, of i think being you know both a national paper and and to sort of an extent try to be a a national daily magazine if you will right. and uh, the better paper may be an uh, appeal to their uh, advertiser base but uh, but yeah, I think the columbus uh, columbus changes uh, is a bigger and more drastic one and, and uh, pretty high potential.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about some specific companies since that's uh, you follow these very closely. Uh, you know, everyone's talking about Tribune, which just came out of bankruptcy and has a new board that seems to, is mostly made up of uh, broadcast and, and, and television people, right. uh, own some of the great newspapers of, of the country or the historically great. A lot of people judge <laughs> how great they are. Mm-hmm. Um, What what do you think is going to happen there?
1: Well, I I read their signals as being that uh, uh, all eight of the papers, if you really want them, or various individual papers, are uh, now potentially for sale if if the price is right. Um, It seems to me uh, a little hard to conceive that there's somebody out there who wants to buy them all. Uh, But I think they're probably, given the... uh, the good climate for, for sales, uh, you know, there, the, the possibility of, uh, selling a couple to one and, and, uh, it, actually getting new owners for all of them is, is, uh, probably the likeliest scenario. Um, so that's, that would be, that would be my best guess. And I, I read their changes, uh, as you do that, Know, essentially they're kind of setting themselves up to be a uh, to be a uh, broadcast and digital company uh, as for instance media general basically made that change when they sold all the newspapers
0: right right and one of the uh the the bidders are potential bidders since no one's an actual bidder yet um aaron kushner and uh 2100 trust which owns the orange county register which has gone in a very different direction than the sort of you know, after all the slow bleed approach to you know keeping cost cutting going at a pace ever so slightly greater than the revenue drop, so you can yep. eke out that small profit, um, he is throwing a lot of money at uh, at you know adding 90 newsroom positions and trying to establish the paper, yep. you know the the product a bit. Uh, I, I'm curious what you think about about what he's done there and whether whether you think that model, if you if you like it, would scale to something like either the LA Times or Tribune more broadly
1: yeah well he could be uh he is uh an outlier or a guy who's going in a different direction and i you know i guess he could call his company print first and then then he and uh, uh payton could mean village square and duke it out uh, because it's it's really just
0: Christopher's younger just... i think he'd probably beat up yeah
1: <laughs> i don't know John, uh, <laughs>
0: he's scrappy yeah
1: he's scrappy that's right he probably packs a punch but uh yeah it's it's quite a different approach uh the other thing i mean it's Again, kind of a couple thoughts about it. Uh, I don't know for sure whether there's a, a particular fit in his mind to Orange County. Uh, that I mean, do have there a huge county that uh, uh, has a paper with relatively low circulation. So maybe there's a particular opportunity there to uh, uh, support print in a lot of ways and build that circulation. Though, Though his comments have tended to suggest he thinks that's the right way to do it, whatever paper you're talking about. Uh, then, of course, the, to say the obvious, it's uh, it's quite new. Uh, we, we don't have enough of a track record yet to even say, is he uh, starting to succeed or not? So that's going to be a while before you tell.
0: Yeah. Uh, one thing that I guess has surprised me a bit over the last couple of years is I expected to see further activity and mergers and acquisitions and splits and more ownership changes and we saw a big burst of them there right during the worst of the crisis and immediately thereafter but it seems to have slowed do you do you think when you look at 2013 do you see other than tribune which you've already talked about a a real chance of a lot of papers changing hands this year
1: uh well i do and i i think i'd I'd read that history a little bit differently from from what you just said we we continue to have a number of big transactions up through 2006, 2007, and of course some uh, notable cases like uh, McCratchy Fine, Knight Ritter, right. and Frontierney uh, Then in turn by the Philadelphia paper, where the prices paid were kind of anticipating the business would rock along as it did. Following that, we we had uh, several years where there were, were essentially no transactions or hardly any, and uh, uh, some pretty good papers, including the. Uh, Landmark papers in uh, Virginia, Roanoke, and Greensboro uh, were on the market for the year. They didn't sell. Cox tried to sell the Austin paper. You find much better Hmm. place than Austin to have a paper. And uh, I don't know that there were no bidders, but there weren't any bidders willing to pay that much. Then, just in the last 18 months, you know, we've had Halifax acquiring all those New York Times papers, uh, Warren Buffett acquiring Omaha and Media General papers, and some more. So, I, I think we're in a we're in a period where there's uh, there's quite a lot of that uh, at very cheap prices, which uh, sort, sort of helps uh, uh, make it something people can do. Yeah, kind uh, of
0: amazingly cheap prices. I mean, the the Tampa yeah. Tribune right across the the bay from you, which what was nine million dollars or something, some, yeah, something that's, insane. Uh,
1: that's uh, roughly the value of their real estate assets. Uh, uh, though, of course, a new owner has to has to. Uh, Take on operating losses if, sure. if they're they're there, and particularly it might be more if, if uh, there's an investment in some things that would make it uh, stronger.
0: But it's similar to the to the San Diego purchase uh, a year or two ago, yep. which just was like sort of the value of the real estate downtown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you went to uh, the big uh, media con- the UBS media conference uh, a couple months ago. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I've been to. I'm a. I'm a You're regular. Those. I've been <laughs> I've been to twelve of those. I believe.
0: And uh, I guess, and I, you, in the piece that you wrote about, it, you noted how newspapers were, you know, only a relatively small portion of the uh, of the overall activity there. But I, I'm curious if you have a, if you got from that a, a take on how the investment community is thinking about about newspapers. And I guess I don't know if they were, were as a presence there or not. But you know, Alden Capital has been uh, has had its fingers in a lot of companies, public and private. And, uh, there's been a lot of tea leaf reading about, uh, you know, what their, what their plans are, thoughts that they want to do a big, massive consolidation thoughts that they are sort of happy, uh, milking those profits for, for a while and don't really have a, a grand right. plan for the business. What's, what's your take on, on how investors are seeing the, the, the industry as a whole and maybe Alden in particular?
1: Well, let, let's, let's put Alden a little bit to the side, to the side, uh, though I think it's a very interesting story. Maybe back but they, they were not uh, a noticeable presence i don't know that i'd know them if i saw them at the at the investors conference <laughs> they and, are and notoriously course, you know, secretive as they're always labeled yeah yes. yeah, yeah. though the, there was a an interesting little exception to that uh when uh, their principal guy randall smith gave a talk to an investment club which uh, somebody there wrote up on his financial blog so we got a little insight in, into their thinking but but to your first question so what's the mood now i think it is the case that uh, overall the uh uh The companies are somewhat marginalized in terms of uh how how interesting they are to investors and you know, there are uh, quite a number of them that are small enough they don't they don't get invited or they don't uh, uh, take a place on the program which I, I believe uh costs a company something if I understand how investment conferences work but uh Gannett got uh you know quite a good turnout quite a lot of attention um and uh New York Times did not present because uh, Mark Thompson was so new that they didn't really want to send him out there before he found his way around the company. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly a a kind of an uptick in investor response. And I, I put quite a bit of significance and did the piece right at the beginning of the year that, uh, uh, you know, granted, they're way, way down from what they once were, but uh, newspaper stocks uh, had had quite a good year in 2012, and right. that's continuing in 2013. They, uh, many of them were up uh, uh, 30 35%. So, uh, you know, you got to wh- – what everything about the stock market's effect on uh, uh, making, making companies more profit maximizing, than they ought to be and that kind of thing. Uh, stock market's a, a very good read on what uh, – of intelligent investors think of something they right, right. Think better of the uh, newspaper industry now. And,
0: and I remember the piece that you wrote about uh, about uh, Randy Smith from from Alden. But uh, do you do you feel like you have a good read on on, on what their what their interests are, or what they're what they're thinking about it?
1: Uh, well, half and half, actually. The 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 biggest part of that particular talk, uh, and he gave that. Let's see if I can get my dates right. Uh, Fall sometime I think October November of eleven. Oh okay. So one of the things he what he said uh, was the his very favorite stock that he owned. So we're kind of moving from his main bailiwick of uh, buying companies privately. His favorite stock was Gannett, and he ticked off all these reasons why Gannett was undervalued and was about to do better, and basically uh you, you may have heard this theory with a number of companies. The idea was that people were were so down on the newspaper business that they were undervaluing all the rest of the net it's local broadcast and so forth uh and And the record would show that he actually sold almost all of his stock right. which was a huge, huge thing by uh, a year or so later and he he made a ton of money on that so it was a it was a sort of a short range. Call, but a, but a correct call um I don't think uh to take a different example I don't think his philadelphia uh investment worked out uh as hoped and they they sold that at a uh, uh at a fairly considerable loss so that's the way it works in that business you maybe hit it big sometimes and and uh, don't others and I haven't entirely uh, been able to figure what their what their uh, overall strategy is though. Though it's certainly significant that uh, um, they're the they're behind uh, John Payton and in, in what he's doing with both Media News and uh, Journal Register. So so I guess they they like the digital first. And uh, Payton also has quite a lot of uh, experience in investment banking. So he he's kind of congenial to them as a uh, financial guy as well as a publisher guy.
0: Yeah, and that's also probably the best sign of of uh, wanting to if not merge or or acquire since the the digital first arrangement is not exactly a merger and acquisition, but to, to gather as many forces from as many companies as you can in one, in one direction.
1: Yeah. And I think it, uh, uh, there are parts of that operation that I'm kind of familiar with about entirely understanding, but uh, I think they, they, they do uh, see benefits in scale. And uh, one of the things that they've, Put a lot of effort into is, is developing their own so called ad network, uh, you know, this sort of intermediary that buys cheaper space and uh, heavy into uh, kind of driving traffic. Uh, so, in essence, you uh, you take out the, the other middle man who's, who's uh, breaking off some of that action and can even sell it to other people. So, that they have uh, all of their register papers, all the media newspapers is uh, part of what makes that possible.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let uh, I me mean, just ask you one last question to wrap it up. The uh, you you have this you have a nice window on all the the newspapers of of, of the country. All I won't say that you know the details of all 1400, mm-hmm. 1500 of them, but no, uh, there are few
1: of yes. <laughs> But no, uh, I, I mean, regrettably I I just don't get to read uh, very many, uh, if any, closely and regularly, uh, except for the Tampa Bay Times.
0: Right. Right. But, uh, the, and of course you got to read the Tampa Bay times, um, the, uh, given, given the, the, the various ways in which you see newspapers moving, if you had to invest in a newspaper, if, if you had to, you know, say, this is the newspaper that I'm going to, I would place my financial bet on that they're going to, you know, be, you know, five years from now, um, uh, be around and healthy and making money. Right. Who would you, who would you bet on? We've described in this conversation a lot of different models that people are trying, from from digitally oriented to print oriented, to growth to retrenchment. You know, what where where are you placing your bets?
1: This may be a a, a little different answer than the question you asked. I I think I think uh, evaluating the New York Times, uh, Wall Street Journal, to some extent, the Washington Post gets tricky because they're so so different and different in scale from typical papers, but. I, I think among uh, among the metro papers, and I've kind of for various reasons been sort of thinking about this list. What are what are some metro papers that are really doing things well, and that have have kind of come through the downsizing with a, a very strong editorial product, and in a kind of a I don't know what you say, sort of not too slow, not too fast, measured pace of, uh, of growth. Um, this is not an exhaustive list, but but four that I think sort of in sort of the same category are the uh, Boston Globe, uh, Tampa Bay Times here, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and uh, Seattle Times. And uh, clearly my list is a little bit skewed to papers that uh, uh, win a lot of Pulitzers and that, that most anybody moves around. Uh, we have a lot of people say this when they're down in Tampa Bay for a while. Man, this is very different from what I see back home, the papers that have a lot in it and uh, kind of have maintained uh, the ability to do good daily report and do some special things with some regularity. I, I think that's the best positioning that, that you can have going forward.
0: Hmm. That's interesting because uh, so the Globe has a paywall, the Tampa Bay Times does not have a paywall they're thinking about uh, they're it. They're thinking about it. Everybody's thinking about it. Uh and Milwaukee and Seattle neither do does Milwaukee have a
1: have a meter? I, uh Milwaukee does. Uh Seattle is also thinking
0: about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh it, it's interesting that the, those I mean I, I tend to agree that those are those are papers that have held up editorially. Um but other than maybe the Globe which has tried the the split site strategy, they're not papers that immediately come to mind as people who are doing particularly innovative things on the on the business side. That doesn't mean they're, right. you know, being you know, less than competent or anything like that, but they, they they don't make headlines that often.
1: Yeah, and that's a good point, and that's why I say my my answer was was probably a little different question than than the one you had. No, it's good. Uh, <laughs> Maybe yeah, they should
0: it, be making headlines. I'm, no, I'm not judging that.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I'd, I'd also um, point you to uh, uh, work you may have seen uh, Project for Excellency journalism with one of their many reports is uh, out with the one uh, this coming Monday. That will be basically four case studies, all of uh, relatively smaller papers. I think it does include uh, Deseret News, but but the other ones are much smaller that have done one thing or another that really uh, uh, distinguishes them as as businesses and and have the results to show it. So, uh, you know, as if, if one looks around carefully, there are papers of uh, uh, of many different sizes that. Uh, are probably positioning themselves pretty well. I, I, I was a little bit there talking about in the context you and I know, but maybe not everybody listening that Metro is the toughest challenge. And yeah. here are some metros that seem to uh, uh, be doing it pretty well. Yeah.
0: Well, great. Well, I'm always happy to be able to pick your brain on this stuff. Thanks a lot. Right?
1: I, I appreciate you calling and uh, it's a good conversation. Thanks.
0: Well, that's episode six of Press Publish. Hope you enjoyed it. My thanks to Rick for the conversation. Did you know that as a young man, he was Scotty Reston's assistant at the New York Times? True story. You can find links to everything we talked about in today's episode in the show notes at neimanlab.org or at presspublish.org. And if you have suggestions of guests we should have on future episodes, please do get in touch. If you like our show, I hope you subscribe to it. You can find us in iTunes or in iTunes U or through RSS, or you can check us out every week on SoundCloud at the Harvard section. Pick your poison. The Neiman Journalism Lab is a project of the Neiman Foundation for Journalism at Harvard University, home of the Neiman Fellowships, Neiman Reports Magazine, Neiman Storyboard, and much, much more. Find us at neiman.harvard.edu, and that's N-I-E-M-A-N, not like Neiman Marcus. This episode was recorded at Walter Lippmann House, Walter Lippmann who said, "...it is often such a relief when talk turns from general topics to a man's own hobby. It is like turning from the landscape in the parlor to the plowed field outdoors." There's a return to the three-dimensional world after a sojourn in the painter's portrayal of his own emotional response to his own inattentive memory of what he imagines he ought to have seen. That's from Public Opinion 1922. Our theme music again is Missing You by Trash 80. Check back next week for another episode of Press Publish, but until then, always remember, disrupt yourself before someone else disrupts you.